Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Church podcast. Visit us online at lifepointcentral.com. Well, last weekend, we kicked off a new series. If you weren't with us, um, hopefully you watched online, but I, uh, I declared this over your life. I, I said this to you. I said, God's about to do something unprecedented in your life. Something unprecedented in you and for you and through you. I went on to say this, that it will be so awesome. Everybody say awesome. awesome. It'll be so awesome that your enemies, your opposition, and even your critics will be amazed. Now that, that could be financial, that could be healing, that could be restoration, that could be a breakthrough, an unbelievable victory, that could be an, a historic answer to a prayer, could be a divine opportunity, could be some blessing that God does. And even if it seems like you're outnumbered, outmanned, or outmatched, ever felt that way? Even if I declare that it's just a setup for God to show up and show off. They say, you're just trying to fire us up. I am trying to fire you up. I'm guilty of trying to fire you up this morning. But I... I sensed that when we started this series that I was supposed to say that to you. So you should get excited about that. Some of you got it, some of you haven't yet, but you should be excited about that. If, if God's going to do something unprecedented in your life, you should be excited um, because excitement prepares you to experience it. And we should be excited about it, but then I said this, but we should also be prepared for a monumental showdown with your God, with your enemy, even with yourself. So we kicked off this series last weekend, and um, this is the title. I know it's a little funny, but Prophets, Punks, and Predicaments. Prophets, Punks, and Predicaments. And last weekend, we looked at how dangerous it is to give the devil the mic. If you give the devil the mic, he will mess you up. So we have to give faith a voice. We give faith a voice, and, and God will show up. And so we talked about the false prophets that prophesy wrong to us. Um, this morning, my title was this, The Problem with Punks. Now, stick with me. Don't get ahead of me, because immediately you had a list of people that just started going ding, 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 ding in your mind. Not exactly where I'm going. Um, there's a lot of definitions for the word punk, you know, sometimes you just know what a word is, but it's hard to define. This is one of those words. But so, so I looked up a punk, and it's defined as a ruffian, a hoodlum, a troublemaker. And so now those names, you just put exclamation points by them. A punk is a troublemaker. Originally, it meant rotten wood used to build a fire. I mean, there's just some rotten punks <laughs> that have started some fires. So you ready to go this morning? Yeah. Um, we had a lot of good feedback last weekend, and so um, we want to we top that this weekend. As we go from glory to glory, right? All right, so I'm going to 1 Samuel, and this is a familiar story. 
because it's a familiar story, don't check out because I'm going to swap the narrative as we get going and it's going to change everything. Here we go. First Samuel chapter 17, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and they camped between Soko in Judah and Azekah in Aphes Damin. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills, and in between them was a valley. Then Goliath, everybody said Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, he was a giant, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall, he wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. So we've got God's army, we've got the enemy's army, and a valley in between. And their champion comes out, and the Bible begins to tell that he's a giant over nine feet tall. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Now look at verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. He was trash talking, he was being intimidating, and he said, why are you all coming out to fight? I'm the Philistine champion, you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then he will be your slaves, or we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the, and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified, and they were deeply shaken. Here's God's army. Here's the enemy. And they send out their champion. He begins to taunt. He begins to trash talk. He begins to um, put fear on God's army. The word taunt here means to provoke. So the enemy is provoking God's people. And if you, as you read on, it will, it will tell you that this went on for 40 days. Every morning and every evening, the giant came out and he taunted and he provoked God's army and it terrified them. Have you ever had something in your life that taunted you when you woke up and when you laid down? And when you woke up and when you laid down? And it provoked you. So I just said God wants to do something unprecedented, unmatched, unrivaled in your life that you should be excited about. But you should also be prepared that when God announces that he's going to do something, sometimes a punk shows up. And he gets in the way of what's to be unmatched, unrivaled, and unprecedented, and he begins to taunt you and provoke you because he doesn't want you to get where he wants you to get. I'm so glad we sang that song, It's About to Break. I'll get you where you need to go. I'll get to you what you need to have. But how many know sometimes in between that and there, there's a punk, there's a giant taunting you. <clears throat> and sometimes it's consistent and continuous when you wake up and when you lay down, it's taunting you. So I was thinking about that. There are some giant 
tauntings in our life. The first is a giant in your past that haunts you. It's a giant. It's in your yesterday, and it's taunting you, and as he taunts, it haunts you about your yesterday, about your mistakes, about your failures. Maybe in your life there was, there was addiction in your yesterday. Maybe there was uh, a failure in marriage. Maybe there was a moral failure. Maybe there was a financial crash. Maybe there's some habits in your yesterday, and there's a giant. Every time you look in the rearview mirror, he's like, I'm back. And even though he's in your yesterday, he's still a giant. He's still looming large. He's still taunting. And you're trying to get where you want to go, where God wants you to go tomorrow, but there's a voice from yesterday that just keeps haunting you every morning, every evening, and it's a haunting voice. If you've ever been there, say, uh-huh. uh-huh. So there are giants that provoke, that taunt, and he is, Goliath is the Philistine champion. Now, the devil is not a genius. He's not creative. He's a counterfeiter, but he's good at deceiving, and he's good at dropping comments, and he's good at reminding you of what you did or who you were or what happened. It might have been something you caused. It might have been something that happened, but it's in your yesterday, some abuse, some failure, something yesterday, and every time you get a few steps forward, it begins to haunt you, and the voice begins to speak to you. It's a giant taunting you. Not only are there giants in your yesterday, there are also giants in your present that threaten you. The giant from yesterday, every time you look in the rearview mirror, he's there, but the giant that's in the present, he's at the intersection in your life, and you can't see past him because he's looming large. Then he's threatening your next turn. He's threatening your progress. He's standing right before you, intimidating you, intimidating you with, your, uh, with the decisions that you have to make, the condition, the symptoms, the circumstances, the, the, the situation that you find yourself in right now. The diagnosis, the the wounds, the hurt, the anger, the stress, all those things that keep you seeing past him. When I walked up here and I said, I I need to declare something over you again that I said last week, is that God has something unmatched he wants to do in your life, something unprecedented, something awesome. You get excited, but then a punk from yesterday haunts you, or a punk standing in the way today threatens you. And instead of seeing forward and seeing what's ahead, all you can see is what is in the here and the now and in the moment that's taunting you and provoking you and threatening you. Well, obviously, there's some giants in our yesterday. There's some giants in our immediate moment right now. And how many know there's some giants in the future, and those giants in the future will confound you? The word confound means this, to confuse your expectations. There's a giant in your tomorrow. There's uncertainty you don't know about tomorrow, and he's confusing your expectations. Here's why. You took your experiences from yesterday because the voice of the giant, and it's been projected into your tomorrow, and now you're confused about your expectations. So when I say there's something unprecedented that God wants to do, you're confused because of what you experienced before or the report 
now or the uncertainty in the next phase, and it keeps you from believing that your best is actually yet to come. Did I just read anyone's mail? So you're God's army, and you are here, and there's an enemy here, and he's stepping out before you morning and evening, and he's confronting you, and he's haunting your yesterday, and he's threatening your immediate moment, and he is confounding your tomorrow. To where you're just like this army. They were shaken, and they were terrified. And so what happens is we stop and get stuck right where we are. And even though it's prophesied God wants to do something and prophesied God wants to move a mountain and prophesied that God wants to take you into a next phase, a next level, a next season, a next blessing, yesterday is keeping you from going forward or right now is threatening your next step or you don't know what's on the other side of that giant. So you are, guess what? You're stuck and you're terrified and you are shaken because of the tauntings of the enemy. You can hear them, but you did this, but this happened, but this didn't happen, but you messed this up. You'll mess it up again when you're ever going to get it together, but you did this. You felt at this, or Right now, you're looking at a diagnosis. Right now, you're looking at your checkbook. Or right now, you're looking at how your spouse is acting or your kids are acting. Or you don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. Can the best really happen that hasn't happened for you yet? And these are haunting voices. And Goliath is the punk. He's the troublemaker. He's the ruffian. He's the rotten wood that set that fire in your life. Now, You all have read the story, and you know where the story goes. But let me me change the narrative of the story and watch how everything changes. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And when I say change the narrative, I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but as I read, I want you to see if you can pick up on it, then I'll tell you. Verse 16. For 40 days, every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. How many know the punk struts? One day, Jesse said to his son David, take this basket of grain and these loaves of bread, carry them to your brothers. Give these cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along. Bring back a report on how they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the army of Israel at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early in the morning with gifts. As Jesse directed him, he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield, and they were shouting battle cries. Verse 21, soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, the punk Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks, and David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they ran away. Now think about this. They're going to the battlefield. They start crying and shouting and pumping themselves up. They come running out of the locker room. They get on the playing field, and all of a sudden, here comes Goliath again. And they start running away. 
As soon as Israel, Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in, in fright. Have you seen the giant? He comes out each day to defy us. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give the man uh, one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. So if you can whoop the giant, no more taxes. Who's in? <laughs> so where's this narrative shifting? Jesse has a son named David, and a father chooses to send his son to the battlefield. Stick with me. Let's jump down to verse 32. Look what David said. Don't worry about the Philistine. I got him. I'll fight him. So not only does the father send the son to the battlefield, now the son takes the responsibility for the fight. Verse 41. Let's jump down a little bit more. So Goliath walks out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here. I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yells, verse 45. But David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. The God of the armies of Israel, who you keep defying. It's important how you answer a punk. Because Israel wasn't answering for 40 days. They were running in fear. I love the rest of this. David says, today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you. And I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with the sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he'll give you to us. Father sends a son, son takes the responsibility for the battle and the Lord declares, this is my battle. The battle you have with a punk right now, it's not your battle. Or it wouldn't haunt you. It's not your battle or, or wouldn't threaten you. It's not your battle or wouldn't confound you. It's his battle. If he said, I'm going to get you here, let him take care of the punks. You focus on God and where he's getting you. Look at verse 48. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David ran at him to meet him. It's time for you to run at what I declared. David ran to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone. He had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from the sheath. David uses to kill him and chop off his head. The son was sent to the battle. He took responsibility for the battle. He picked up the fight himself. He slew the giant, decapitated him. And if you read on, it says he brought his head back to Jerusalem. And then they slaughtered the Philistine army. And the carnage was all the way on the highway, all the way back to Gath. 
Here's the narrative change I want you to get, if you haven't caught it yet. We read the story, and sometimes we think we're David. We got to pick up our five stones. We got to run and throw our sling, our, 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 our slingshots. But in this story, David, what if the narrative changes and David represents Jesus? If David represents Jesus, it doesn't matter how big your giant is because Jesus is big. Jesus is a giant slayer. And he defeated the harasser and the enemy on the cross. So when you read and you understand that David represents Jesus coming, sent by his father to the battlefield to take care of the punk who has been harassing you and threatening you and confounding you and haunting you. Jesus said, I got this. This battle is mine. This battle is mine. And the image that you need to keep in your mind and the image that you need to keep before you is Jesus standing with the enemy's head. Did y'all get that? The image you need to keep before you is that David cut off and decapitated the giant and he took the head back to Jerusalem. The Bible says that Jesus came to defeat and conquer the works of the enemy. And if you can keep before you the fact that Jesus has decapitated the enemy, his tauntings have been decapitated with him. So if you change the narrative, you get different results and you get different faith and you get different beliefs. So what have we said? We said that there is a, an enemy, a punk, and this punk comes and he, he is a giant that's in your rear view mirror and he's haunting you from yesterday. Or maybe he's standing right before you between you and the intersection or between you and progress and he's threatening you. Or maybe he's in your tomorrow confounding you. But if Jesus is the giant slayer and he's decapitated the enemy, the narrative changed, the results changed, and I got three life points for you, ready? Number one, your failure is not fatal. Listen, your, three people, you must have a lot of failure, right? Your failure is, was that you? Oh, it's my wife, okay. Um, your failure is not fatal because the myth is the mistake was too big and the myth is that the failure was too large and the, the, the failure was too fatal. So now if you see the giant in the rearview mirror, leave him in the rearview mirror because the king, God's son, has decapitated the punk. If he mumbles and talks and haunts your yesterday, guess what? It's in your yesterday. It's in the rearview mirror. It's a myth that your failure is fine. When you came to Jesus, when you met Jesus, your failure is not fatal. Your, whether it was a moral mistake, whether it was a past addiction, whether it was a relationship, whatever it may have been, it's not fatal. Let me read you a really good scripture. Romans chapter eight, verse one. Everybody say, this is about to be good. Romans says this, so now, well, what do you mean so now? Since the giant slayer slayed the giant, since he's been decapitated, so now the case is what? 
The case is closed. It's a cold case. It's in the past. It's closed. And there remains no accusing voice of condemnation against you if you're joined in life union with Jesus. Did you all get that? If you, if you have some past failure, past mistake, and you're in life union with Jesus, the case is closed. There is therefore now, right now, immediately, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So your failure isn't fatal. Your yesterday cannot stop your tomorrow. Because the Bible says he has taken your sin and your shame, and he has actually separated from you as far as the east is from the west. He has forgiven. He's reconciled you to himself. And he took the shame. And he took the sin, and he took the addiction, and he took the mistake, and he owned it as his own. And he says, you're forgiven. He said, actually, you are a brand new creation. He's made all things new. That, that in the Greek means you are a species that did not exist prior. And he's declared you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So if the one who slew the giant says to you, I'll take your shame, you are forgiven, you are pardoned, you are cleansed. It doesn't matter who's haunting your past because the blood of Jesus has covered your yesterday. It's covered your yesterday. Did y'all get that? It's covered your yesterday. It may be in your rearview mirror haunting you, taunting you, provoking you. Don't give it a ear. Don't give it a voice. All you got to do is remember the image of a decapitated punk, of a decapitated Goliath, of a decapitated giant. Don't make the giant in the rearview rear mirror bigger than what he is. He only has a voice of yesterday. That's all he has, and it's under the blood. And the, the Bible says this, that God the Father can't see past the blood of Jesus. I want you to get that because um, you, you, you have to be free from yesterday to have victory in your tomorrow. So guess what? The truth is, the myth is, is your failures are too many and they're too fatal. But the truth is that your failures aren't fatal. They're not fatal. Apparently, this crowd has never made a mistake. I'll just talk to those at home. All the mistakes, y'all at home, right? So we'll just talk. Just kidding. Life point number two is if the king sent his son and he slew the giant that's in your yesterday, he also slew the giant in your present, and fear is not your function. And here's why I say that. The giant that threatens you is in your here and now. He's in your immediate moment. But fear is not your function. It's actually a myth that you have to fear. The armies were terrified until a champion stepped forward and slew the giant. Then they chased that army all the way back to Gath, and the Bible says they littered the highway all the way back to Gath with carnage from defeated foes. Once the punk was decapitated, there was a confidence in them. 
There, there was a, 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 an assurance in them. There was courage in them. And you have to know this, that the king has slain the punk that's been standing in, in your way and in your past. Let the fear go. Don't be intimidated any longer. 2 Timothy 1.7, I know you know this, but we need to read it. For God did not give you a spirit of timidity, of being a coward, or craving and cringing and fawning fear. He didn't give that to you. It does not come from him. It comes from a giant who's been slain, who's been decapitated, and who no longer has any power. But what he has given you is a spirit of what? Power, love, and a calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. He did not give you a spirit. So fear is a spirit. It's just a spirit of the punk. It's the spirit of Goliath. It's fear, false evidence appearing real to you. But if Jesus is the giant slayer and he's slain the giant who haunts you in your yesterday, he also was able to slay the giant who's threatening you in the moment, in the here and now. 366 times in the Bible it says, don't fear. That's one for every day plus leap year. <laughs> Throughout the Bible, it's repeated, even in different forms. Fear not. Don't fear. Fear not. He's reminding us. You don't have to fear because I've already slain the giant. Here's the deal. It, it, it's impossible to reason away fear. That's usually what we do. We try to reason it away. And you probably heard someone preach this before. You need faith to deal with fear. It's actually not what the Bible says. You defeat a spirit with the opposing spirit. The opposite spirit of fear is love. The opposite spirit of faith is unbelief. So you cannot reason away fear, but you can cast away fear. How do you cast away fear? You focus and you emphasize and you intentionally put your gaze and your mind and your memory and your heart on the fact that perfect love ejects fear. Perfect love casts away fear. Focus on the love of God for you, the love of Jesus for you, the plan of God for you, how much he loves you, how much he went to the battlefield in your place when the armies were shaken and they were terrified. And he says, I got this. This battle is mine. And he stepped in. Why did he do that? Because he loves you. He stepped in and he went to the cross and he took your shame and he took your sin and he took your sickness and he took your poverty and he embraced it on his own shoulders. Why? What kept him on the cross when the Bible says he could have immediately called for a legion of angels to bring him off of the cross? What kept him there? It wasn't the devil. What kept him there? It wasn't a demon. What kept him there? One thing, he obeyed the Father and he loved you. Are you getting where we're going this way? If you change the narrative, the battle's not you. You're not David. Jesus is who David represents in that story. And representing him in that story means that your failure is not fatal, and it means that fear does not have to be your function. And the last life point is this, that fate is not your forecast. Fate is not 
your forecast. So we have, we have grown up using words like fate, luck. We use those kind of words about our future. Well, it's just my lot. That's my fate. It's meant to be. That's what it's meant to be. It's meant to be. That's just my luck. Roll the dice. All very unbiblical perspectives. Let me tell you what the word fate means. The word fate means an inevitable and often adverse outcome condition or end. It's an inevitable and often adverse ending to something, conclusion to something, outcome or condition. So what it's saying is that your life is up to an inevitable end, an inevitable outcome. But fate is not your forecast. That is a myth. Psalm chapter 5 verse 12 says this. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. Anyone righteous? I don't feel righteous. I didn't ask you if you felt righteous. I asked if you were righteous. I just told you you were righteous. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's not your righteousness. That was filthy rags. The gift of righteousness from Jesus is free to you. You have his righteousness. So you're righteous. Say, I'm righteous. Now say it like you believe it. I'm righteous. So if you happen to be righteous, which you just said you were, the Lord says this, I'm going to bless the righteous. So if you're righteous, what's he going to do? He's going to bless you. Well, what's he going to bless you with? Look what it says. With favor. With favor. Actually, what's he going to do with favor? He's going to surround you like a shield with favor. What's favor? Actually, I think we're going to do a series that's fall in favor, but really what favor is, it's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that you can't earn, you can't merit, and you do not deserve. You didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it, you didn't merit it. It's a gift from God. Why? Because you're righteous. Why are you righteous? Because you received him. You believed in him. The giant slayer. So you don't live by fate and luck. You don't live by a roll of the dice. You don't live by the world's economy. You don't live by CNN's predictions, the Washington Post's predictions, the government's forecasts, inflation. We don't like it, but guess what? You're not predicted by all of that. Because you're surrounded with something else besides fate. The moment you embrace Jesus, fate went this way and you went the favor route. He says, actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to surround you with it. It means to have an advantage. There's a lot of things that favor does. And one thing that favor does is it wins victories you don't have to fight. It gives you unprecedented victories that you didn't have to fight. Your fight is to labor and and stay in faith. Favor will open doors you could have never opened for yourself. Favor will win battles you couldn't win on your own. Favor. You do not live by fate. You live by favor. It surrounds you like a shield. If it surrounds you like a shield, guess what? It goes before you. It accompanies you. It follows you. I think that just... That just dealt dealt with all three of those giants. If it goes before you, the giants in your tomorrow are dealt with. 
If it surrounds you, the giants that are in your here and now, it deals with. If it's behind you, it deals with the giants from you. You're surrounded by the favor of God, the goodness of God. Isn't that cool? We live by the favor of God, not fate, by the promises of God. These are our expectations. Actually, Ephesians say it, says it this way, that you go like um, from one degree to the next in favor. He builds favor on favor on favor on favor on favor on favor. But somewhere we have to stop believing fate and believe in the favor of God. Well, you know, this is, this is the sickness that my grandparents got. Or this, my, my, my family's marriage has all failed. Or um, we were always poor and broke. That may have been your fate until the giant was slain in your life. And now you're no longer subject to that sickness, to that disease. You're no longer subject to that family breakdown. You're no longer subject to those things. You live by the favor of God now. He will bless you even if the rest of your family stayed poor. He will heal you even if the rest of your family was in sickness. You live by the favor of God. It should change your expectation. God will promote. God will open doors. God will heal. God will deliver. God will set free by the hand of God because he's a good God. But see, punks will stand in the way and get you to believe something contrary to that because they're troublemakers. They're ruffians. Rotten wood starting a fire in your life. How many are getting something? Isn't this good? So you can live confident, not confused. And if you hear or see or start to experience something in the contrary, don't give up on it. Hold on to it by faith. Hold on to faith. Speak favor. Declare favor. That's what we're supposed to do with favor is to declare favor. You know, how you, you know how you know you have favor tomorrow? If you're declaring it today. If you go into tomorrow without declaring favor today, you may not have favor tomorrow because you have to declare that favor for tomorrow. So you need to go home and declare favor for this week. You say, what happens, what happens when something on the contrary happens? You keep declaring favor. What the enemy meant for evil, God, for evil, God will turn for good. Greater is he that's in you than what is in the world. He is behind you. He is for you. Don't let the voice of a punk keep you from missing out on the fact that God wants to bless your now, yesterday, and your tomorrow. Because here's the deal. A punk has this way of intimidating, annoying, frustrating, and just causing you trouble. Anyone ever known a, a literal punk? Like someone, like, they're, just, they're just a punk. My neighbor's a punk. My, that kid at school is a punk. The guy that works for me is a punk. If you can't recognize, they're probably saying it about you. He's a punk. <laughs> Man, I'm so glad I know the giant slayer. So glad. So when the enemy... raises up in the rearview mirror and he's like 
yeah, but he prophesied that on Sunday about what's going to happen, but you did this and you're that and you went through this and you had that happen. And you just need to say, picture the decapitated head. This, y'all, um, y'all remember um, Peanuts, Snoopy? Everybody knows Snoopy, right? Even the young ones, you know Snoopy. Um, remember Peanuts? Remember the school teacher? Remember that? You just need to let that be the voice of the enemy in your life. Just tune it out. Because if it, when he reminds you of your past, if you can just remind him that you're forgiven and you're free and you're not under condemnation, remind him of his future. And when he's standing in the way and he's threatening you and he's intimidating, know that I don't have this spirit. This spirit does not have to bow to that spirit. Jesus loves me. Doesn't matter how big that giant is, what he's predicting right now and going into the future. No, it's, it's, not, it's not about fate. It's not about luck. It's not the roll of the dice here. Guess what it's about? It's about the favor of God. And it surrounds you like a shield. So let, 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 me, let me remind you, I don't want to be redundant, but before we, before we wrap up and sing here, let, let, me, let me say what I said to you at the beginning. And when the image of the giant, the punk, pops up and you have like, you hear me, but you have that yeah but whisper in your ear, I want you to remember, picture him decapitated. God is about to do something unprecedented in you. How many need it? I, don't worry about who else needs it. How many needs it? You need it. He wants to do something unprecedented in you. And he wants to do un- something unprecedented for you. And he wants to do something unprecedented through you. It, it will be so awesome. Everybody say awesome. Say it like the 80s. Awesome. Y'all did that really well. It will be so awesome that your enemies and your opposition and your critics will be amazed. They'll just be amazed. Even if it seems like you're outnumbered, outmanned, and outmatched, I declare it's just a setup so God can show up and God can show off. Can we stand? And if you get something you can leave here with, I want you to get this. The Bible said that the Philistines kept sending out Goliath, and he was their champion. He was their champion. Nine feet tall. I described his armor. And he walked out, and he taunted, and they, were in, they came running out. The Bible said they came running out for battle, cheering and shouting. It's like you're running out of church. Woo! That was an awesome message. Hallelujah. Ooh, we got your Holy Ghost hanky. You're doing all your stuff, right? Amen, amen, praise the Lord. You're doing all that. And then all of a sudden, the enemy sends his champion, shouting about your yesterday, your right now, or your tomorrow. I want you to remember, though, the enemy might have a champion, but you have a champion, too. And no matter how big that giant is, he slew that giant. He ran at him, says, I got this. The battle is the Lord's. You have a champion. 
fighting for you. Let him fight for you. Don't disagree with him. Don't, don't reason with him. Say, Lord, if you said it, I believe it. If my past is, is redeemed and forgiven, guess what? Let it be redeemed and forgiven. If God, if you're, in, if you're in the moment, I don't have to be in fear, so be it. I don't accept fear. I don't live in fear. I'm not going to listen to the voice of fear. I'm not going to reason with the voice of fear. I'm not going to have a conversation with fear. I choose not to allow fear to be present. And I'm not going to be confused about my tomorrow because you've been in my tomorrow and I'm going in my tomorrow with favor. Because why? I have a champion. I have a champion who's greater than the enemy's champion. Our champion is undefeated. Our champion is unmatched. Our champion is Jesus. He's the champion over your yesterday. He's the champion over your right now, and he'll be the champion over your tomorrow. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna have our prayer team come forward. We're gonna sing the song champion, and we're gonna sing it with some conviction this morning. And if you need prayer about something in your yesterday, something in your right here and your right now, or something in your tomorrow, please take advantage of this moment while we want to pray for you. And we're going to sing this. We're going to stay in faith over this. We'll close out here in a few moments. But I want you to sing and believe that your champion is a giant slayer. And as you sing this song, I want you to think about your yesterday, your right now, and your tomorrow as a decapitated head. That's how I want you to picture it this morning. Aren't you glad you have a champion? Aren't you glad you have a champion? Come on, y'all, wake up. Aren't you glad you have a champion?